Amen. You guys can have a seat. It is so good to be with you Sunday to Sunday. I was talking to Dean and Mary Claire this morning, and they, they told me that I was lying to you, that I'm not nearly the pessimist that I make myself out to be, and I assured them that that was not the case, but I, I am. The glass is half empty for me, uh, but I don't, uh, not always. But when they see me, they see me Sunday mornings, and obviously I'm a little bit excited to be here uh, when we arrive And it's good to be gathered with God's people. It's good to hear your voices affirming those those doctrinal positions that we hold to be true. That God, in his mercy, creates order where chaos reigned in our lives. Right? That, That Jesus himself, by his blood, paid all of our sin debt. And because of that, now all that we have is his. It's the only reasonable response Right? That's what Romans 12 says. The only reasonable response of worship is to give him all of us. To hear you sing that we have this assurance in Christ. That all is at rest. What else is it that allows us to face the trials and, and tribulations of our lives other than that assurance? The first, the first question of that old Heidelberg Catechism. My only comfort in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all that we have. Nothing else is strong enough to sustain us. And it is good to be with God's people as they just rehearse those things for themselves and preach the gospel to ourselves through song again. So thank you, Matt and worship team, for leading us. And thank you for singing so loudly this morning. I love hearing your voices. It's so good. All right. We're in it this morning. I feel so good. I've had a tooth issue for two weeks, and it got taken care of on Thursday, and I'm an old man, and I just had it pulled. That's how you know you're an old man. I'm like, I'm sick of this. Just take it out. Guys, I feel like a new person today. I cannot believe how happy I am to not have blinding pain shooting through my head every moment of the day. So you better buckle in because we're going for it, right? Here it is. A few, <laughs> sorry. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we started talking about the, the coming year, 2020, and we laid out a challenge for our congregation church-wide, full-year-long challenge, something that we can do with our children and our students and all of our adult congregation. And so we, we called it the 20 challenge, right? You remember we, we talked about it. Today we're going to be highlighting the third part of that challenge, but maybe you're new, maybe you live under a rock, maybe you haven't been part of our services for the last little bit. I wanted to do a quick recap of where we are, what we're doing this year, and then we'll jump into the third part of that challenge. Here's the Cliff Notes version for all of you like me who like to fast forward to the end and see if we can figure this out. Here it is. It's a set of 320s, remember? 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. We've encouraged everybody in our congregation to jump in for 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. And we're using, uh, if if you already have a, a, a stable devotional plan, then stick with your plan and maybe just give us an extra 20 minutes to read along with us. We're doing one chapter a day in the New Testament through a coordinated um, Bible reading plan on the Bible app. And so you can just go to your app store, download that. The If you literally just download, search for the Bible, it's the first one that comes up. It's the Version Bible. Then search for the daily New Testament reading plan. Quarter one, it comes up, and you can launch that and jump in with us one chapter a day. It's an amazing opportunity just to stay with the people of God that we're partnered with and learn together um, along this journey. It's been a lot of fun the first couple weeks to see how you guys have engaged with that. There's even a feature on there where you can invite friends and have a, a group where you're sharing with one another what you're learning. 
It's so exciting to see even our, our students and our adults jumping in and reading the Bible together. Let's keep doing that. So those of you, maybe you haven't jumped in yet, you can still jump in. I'm not keeping track. That's between you and the Lord. You can launch it tomorrow and you have a streak of 100%. Just jump in, okay? Read the Bible with us. One chapter a day gets through the New Testament this year and share with somebody what you're learning. You can share it on social media with the hashtag Newtown20 and that's how we've been able to watch. So 20 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. Reading the Bible and praying to the Lord that he would fill us and use us and apply what we're learning. Pray for those who we love. Secondly, $20 extra a month, 20 minutes a day, $20 extra each month. Our plan, remember we said just last week, our plan is to take the first $20,000 that comes in through this special offering above and beyond our tithes and, and gifts and use that to invest in the community. And we've asked you for suggestions on, on organizations, ministries, local partnerships that we might be a blessing to. So that if you have somebody today that you think can think of in our community that we could be a, a blessing to, write that on the communication card and drop it in today. And we'll review the, the, we've already got some really great suggestions. We'll review that list and we'll start making a plan for how we can take that first $20,000 that comes in and be a blessing in the community. Anything that comes in beyond that with that extra 20 a month, we're going to apply to in-house needs. We, things like roofs and parking lots and infrastructure. And our elders are working to, to, to create a plan for how best to handle those needs so we're not in crisis point coming in the next year or so. $20 extra a month, 20 minutes a day, $20 extra a month so we can give $20,000 away. You can let us know that by selecting the 20 fund from the drop-down menu in our app, or if you're writing cash, put it on the envelope. If you're writing a check, put it in the memo line. We just need to know how much of your gift you want applied to the 20 fund, okay? 20 minutes a day, $20 extra a month, and today, 20 people over the course of the next year, that's what we're going to be talking about today, that you're going to minister to in an intentional way. Okay, so the, the, the closing section today might be, if we're honest, the most difficult for us. Because 20 minutes a day is a slight inconvenience. But some of you, that's just two rounds of snooze right? If you actually got up when your alarm went off, you would have that extra 20 minutes easy. Some of you are like, you're snoozing six, seven, eight times, you know? 20 minutes a day, you're probably not going to miss out on a whole lot. $20 a month or whatever you've determined in your heart to give extra, that might bring minimal discomfort. Maybe you'll sacrifice a pizza or a fast food run with your family, but might be a movie ticket, but, but $20 a month over the, I mean, over the course of four weeks, you're, you're probably not going to miss it that much. It won't create too much of a disruption to your regular life and pattern. But 20 people? 20 people that we work with? 20 people that we serve in our business? 20 people that we go to school with? 20 people on our sports teams? 20 people in our neighborhood, people we have real relationships with, this part of the challenge might cost us a little bit. We might have to be a little more vulnerable than we like to be. We might have to put ourselves out there a little bit more than we're comfortable with. But the good news is the greatest things God has for us is, are waiting for us just on the other side of our comfort. And that's true no matter what we're dealing with. The greatest things that God ever does in our lives are just on the other side of our comfort. 
when we push ourselves out there, when we follow his leadership out there, and we realize that he's there waiting for us. So why? Why is it that we're, we're why, do we, why are we going here? I mean, 20 minutes a day in, in Bible reading, I think it's pretty, pretty evident. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds to the mouth of God. We're going to train people to read the Bible. That's, an, that's a good thing. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? $20 extra a month. Yeah, we're supposed to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven and not here on earth. We can give cheerfully and sacrificially just like God commanded us. And he blesses that cheerful giver with a harvest. So we, we see all that. That's clear. But why this? Why is our church leadership moving in this direction? Why are we challenging you in this? It's not just to fill seats for sure, although that would be fun. It'd be fun to fill the place up and have to launch a couple services extra. It'd be fun to reach more people. It's not just to fill seats. It's not just because we've set some kind of attendance marker that we have to hit. And this is a clever way to, to get more people here. The reason we're leaning into this challenge is because focusing here is directly in line with the words and the will of Jesus for his church. And we can be confident that, that when we jump in where he's already told us to jump in and promised power to us, that we can jump in with confidence that we will see him and encounter him there. We don't have to pray. Here's, here's the way we say this. You don't have to pray about whether or not to take part in this challenge. God already told you to do this. We don't, have to, we don't have to wonder, is this what the Lord would have for me? If you're a follower of Jesus, yes, this is what the Lord has for all of us. For all of us. Unless we forget, sometimes it's good to do things just because Jesus said to. I have to constantly remind some children of mine in my house that every now and then, I don't need their arguments or their criticism with the process that I'm trying to institute. I just need them to obey the words coming out of my mouth. And that's a good thing. Sometimes it's just good to be reminded that as a subordinate creature, my number one focus and priority needs to be following the command of the Creator. And when He speaks, I need to listen to Him. And sometimes, I know it's really basic and really simplistic, Sometimes, because Jesus said so is good enough. All right? Also, kids, sometimes because your dad said so is also good enough. That's good preaching right there. Somebody tell my mom and dad that I finally came around, will you? Because they're not going to believe it's their son. All right. How? How is it then that, that this challenge is in line with the words of Jesus? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. As Matthew is closing his gospel, his story on the life of Jesus, he gets to the end, and the closing words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel are, are what is known as the Great Commission. Jesus actually tells his followers what he wants them to do. Probably because he knew us. He knew that after a while we'd get confused about what was most important. and We'd come up with other ideas about what things we should be doing. But here's what he said. No, no, I'm going to help you guys. Here it is. Matthew chapter 28. Let's look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And with that, Matthew's gospel closes. The final words that Jesus speaks to his followers in Matthew's recording of his life is this commission, this commandment of sorts, this explanation, passing the torch, here's what you're supposed to do. And what you're supposed to do, church, is really similar to what I just did. Remember the story of, uh, we've been working through Mark, we're jumping back into it next week. We've taken a long break for Advent and now this series, we're jumping back in next week. Remember Jesus, what he says? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. What does he do? He comes on the scene and he announces that, that it is now time for the kingdom of God to be established on earth, for people to receive that gift, they need to repent, turn away from sin, and they need to believe in the gospel. So at the end of Jesus' life, he's leaving. He says, all right, it's your turn. You go. You go and make disciples of all nations. I've been doing it. I've been preaching. I've been teaching them. I've been sharing this gospel, this good news. Now it's your turn. You go. Tag. You're it. Get out of here. All right? Go and make disciples. That word disciples is not just a word for converts. That word disciples means learner. It means somebody who's a follower in our going as we are going. The focus of this passage isn't just in other cultures or other places. It's as we are going, every one of us goes somewhere. To work, to school, out in the community, to church. As you're going, you are making disciples. The calling of the passage is on that make disciples. That's the verb that's most prominent. We are called, Christian disciples are called to reproduce themselves. They're called to duplicate themselves in other people. To pass on what they have received. To help other people in their lives find the joy of knowing and following Jesus the way that they have. And how does that happen? Well, they hear the message, and then the Bible says that you are to baptize them and to teach them. And we should not think of this as like two separate events. This is like, one big event, what happens is people hear the gospel, they receive the gift of God's grace, and as a statement that they have received that, they are baptized. Because, one, one commentator said, making disciples requires an evangelistic effort that doesn't stop at conversion, but continues until growth to maturity. Our evangelistic efforts should be to help people come to understand Jesus and then to grow in him as well. We are to see them baptized and then taught. Now, baptism, as we have practiced it here through the years, we've seen a number of you are ready and preparing for baptism even now. Baptism is an outward declaration. We have to go over this from time to time because like I talked to a friend recently, almost, what, like 80% of our congregation has, has roots in a Catholic background or some other background where our, our opinion and convictions are, of the Bible on baptism are a little different. We don't believe that baptism takes away original sin. We don't believe that baptism is an automatic entrance into the fellowship of the church. 
What we believe about baptism is it is an outward declaration of this gracious transformation that God has brought to our lives through faith. And in the New Testament, that happens very quickly after someone comes to faith. Now, in our culture, for whatever reason, sometimes we linger long, sometimes years and years. But the pattern of the New Testament is a quick turnaround. Some of you here today, you've trusted Christ a long season ago, but you've not yet followed the Lord in believer's baptism. I would encourage you to do that. To honor him, to obey him, to celebrate what he's done. To give your brothers and sisters a shot in the arm of encouragement that the gospel is still changing people's lives. It's an outward declaration that Jesus reigns in our hearts through faith. It's beautiful to publicly display that to the church. The moment someone becomes a follower of Jesus, our commitment to them isn't over. We then continue with them, teaching them and passing on to them the things that we have learned and have seen. And then Jesus says, don't worry, I'll be with you to the end. As you're going, now that's a little bit challenging. That's not an easy thing to do. I, let's be honest, it's, it's a little fe- fearful to think about training somebody to maturity. Some of us probably don't feel like we're mature enough to do that yet. Right? If we're honest, it, I could get you to the basics, but maybe, maybe beyond that I'd struggle. And Jesus said, look, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you to the very end. I will strengthen you. I will provide my presence. I'm not going to leave you to do this alone. I'm going to come with you in this. That has to give the disciples a little bit of encouragement. Because if Jesus' presence is there, then maybe the same fruit will be there too. Maybe then the same things they saw him do, he will do in them and through them. That's exactly what he says, right? Greater things than these you'll do. So he provides for the disciples a clear description of what they're supposed to do. But that's not the end. Jump to the right a couple books to Acts chapter 1. Because he helps us with a little more clarity. Because he must have known us. That we would, left to ourselves, we would form committees and programs. And we'd have all kinds of classes on how this would go. And we would forget the main central piece of this ministry of disciple-making that we have. There is. Now, there's a lot of ways that we make disciples, but at, it, at the core of it all, there is one central and foundational truth to this that you cannot miss. And it's not administrative. It's not programmatic. Here's what Jesus says as his disciples. And he's resurrected now, gathered his disciples together. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Well, actually... In 6 and 7, they're arguing about, is this now the time? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, look, that's not for you to know. My father has fixed that date. Here's what you need to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, the plan for disciple-making is for spirit-empowered witness. That's where it begins. It starts with the Holy Spirit's power coming on a believer and them bearing witness to what they've seen and heard in Jesus. He promises that the Spirit will come. Again, 
You don't have to do this in your own power. That's what he's saying. The power is from me, and it's coming. He frames the ministry of disciples as one of a witness-bearing ministry. Of telling people what you've seen. Have you ever been called to be a witness in any kind of situation? Sometimes I'm called to be a witness in the court of the living room. Could you please come and explain what you told her to do? Because I'm confused, right? Well, here's what happened. Here's what I experienced. Here's what I saw. Some of you have been a witness in a court of law. You've had to come and say, this is what I've seen. Some of you have been character witnesses. Here's, here's the person that I know. Here's what I know to be true about them. Here's what I've experienced. Our lives as the followers of Jesus, he framed it for us in terms of spirit-empowered witnessing. And then he ascends into heaven, leaving them alone, but sends his spirit in Acts chapter 2. Pours it out, signifying the era of this new covenant is now upon us, and it's broken free. And he gives them a ministry. And what kind of ministry did he give them? The Holy Spirit gave the disciples a ministry of bearing witness in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the story of the book of Acts and the story of the church of Jesus throughout the last 2,000 years is the spirit-empowered witness of God's people moving from that centerpiece in Jerusalem and expanding throughout the earth. So much so that when the disciples arrive in one town, they say, those men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And how are they turning the world upside down? By bearing witness. Look at the sermons from the book of Acts. What do they talk about? This Jesus who you crucified, he was buried and he rose again and he appeared to us. I saw him with my own eyes. They bear witness to what they have seen and heard and found in Jesus. Now this is a little simplistic, I know. And it probably wouldn't sell many books. It'd be a really short book. But spirit-empowered this spirit-empowered commission, bearing witness and seeing disciples made, that is the mission of the church. That's it. And we can find a lot of expressions on how we're going to do that. And we can program that and we can organize that for hundreds of people. You have to. You can have focused, coordinated efforts. But at the bottom of it all, it's still the same. The Spirit empowers us to share with one another what God has done in our lives what we have seen and experienced in him. All right. The mission hasn't changed. The mission hasn't changed. The church of Jesus, Jesus still stands with the same calling. Spirit-empowered witness. Okay? So our challenge to our church to be involved, to reach 20 people, is in line with God's plan for his church. What I want to point out there is that we are not encouraging, we're not asking for more than the scriptures would have us to do. I'm giving you a goal of 20 people, but if the Lord tells you not to do 20, then stick with whatever number he gives you. I don't care. It's just easy because it's 2020. I don't know. It was, it was easy for me to remember. And I don't do so good at numbers. Colors and shapes, I'm good with. Numbers is where I get, get off. All right. How? How are we going to do that? How, how are we going to see? Okay. 
the way we're going to do this is simplistic again. It's not real intricate. Not a lot of steps to this whole process. It's simple, but I think it'll work. How, do we, how will we reach 20 people? How will each family reach 20? How will I reach 20? Well, well, we should begin with just those who are closest to us. We should begin with those we have relationships with. We should begin with those we're already connected to. When God calls us to reach people with the gospel, I don't think the first people he thinks about are like six degrees of separation away from us. I think he means the people in my living room. I think he means the people in in my workplace. I think he means the people at school on my team. The first people that I should go to are the people he's already sent me to. Right? So we start there. You know, the Bible says that the gospel moves house to house through the book of Acts. That wasn't like geographic location to geographic location, building to building. It was household to household along the lines of relationships. The gospel visited my household like the Philippian jailer. And then everybody his household was in relationship with heard about this earth-shaking, prison-breaking experience that he just endured. The gospel moves house to house along the lines of relationships. So start there. How about this? How about in the next couple days you make a list of 20 people that God laid on your heart and tuck it into your Bible? Okay, I just dated myself. Any of you who don't read our paper Bible anymore... Fill out your notes app and put 20 people on there so that daily as you're reading, you can begin praying for them. Make a list. Make a list. Just get them on paper and begin to see how God will soften your heart towards those people. And then here's how it goes. Three ways. Three ways to do this. Pray for them. Well, don't I have to talk to them? Yes, you should talk to them at some point. Start with praying. Pray for them. Jerry Falwell, when I was at Liberty, used to say all the time that nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from prayer. We want the eternity of our friends and neighbors to be affected. We want the gospel to visit their household. We want their lives to be transformed by the life-giving power of Jesus. That's an eternal spiritual dynamic that I can't produce. I need a power source to produce that, and it's not me. So let's go to the one who has it. Go to him and pray. Pray that God would open doors. Pray for the general needs of your friends. Are you in the practice of doing that? A coworker endures a great loss. They lose their wife or husband to cancer. They don't know Jesus. Do you pray for them? Do you pray that God would ease their suffering? Do you pray that God would show them the truth of the gospel through their difficulty? Maybe you have a, a, a friend or coworker whose son or daughter is stuck in substance abuse and addiction and it's racking their family. Do you pray for them? What if we took up the habit of praying for the general needs of those people closest to us? What, what, if, what if we started there? What if we were in relationship with these people and out of the love that we have for them because Christ's love resides in us, we begin to take their requests to the Father and then shared that with them. I've been praying for you. Here's a verse in scripture that really comforted me when I was in a similar situation. Maybe it'll comfort you. Let them know that they were on your heart and you took that request to God. Pray for general needs. Pray for an opportunity, an open door to swing wide for you. You'd be surprised 
You'd be surprised how many open doors of opportunity come swinging open when you're praying for those opportunities. Pray for a sensitivity to the Spirit's leading when you pray for these people. Pray that you'd listen to the Spirit because the voice of fear is loud in our hearts. We will always choose the path of least resistance. The Spirit leads us to do things that are, at times are a little bit unreasonable and inexplicable. Pray for a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's leading so that when you're working with that coworker, when you're out for lunch, when you're on that team, when you're on the bus traveling to that game and the opportunity comes and you can sense the Lord prompting you that you'd have the faith and the courage to step out. Pray. So you start with praying. Praying for these people. Secondly, engage them in a gospel conversation. Engage, pray and engage them with an intentional conversation. Now, I want to encourage you with this. The first round of conversation does not have to be, Hi, I'm Matt. If you died today, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? In fact, for most of us, that would be a very, very difficult thing to rebound from. But you know what it could be? It could be, hi, I know that you guys have been through a difficult season. How are you guys doing? Engage them. What are you holding on to hope for in this season? How are you making it through? What are you leaning on? Listen. Become an active listener to your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends. Hear their stories. Listen to where they've been. Listen to what God has been doing in them and through them. Point out the places that you see God's protection in their lives before they see it themselves. Listen to them. Hear them. Don't be, don't be rushing to speak. Hear their stories. Hear their pain. Hear their discord. Hear their, their, their existence of their lives. And then begin to apply the gospel's power and grace to it. Share your own story with them. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Don't be afraid to tell them the joy that he brings you. Don't be afraid to tell them how he overturned darkness and sickness and disease and rebellion and foolishness. Some of you guys have an amazing testimony. Tell them. Tell them what Jesus did. Share your story and then listen for theirs. Be listening for statements that give you insight into their hearts. Because people's hearts are on display. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we're actually listening, you can hear their pain. You can hear their questions. You can hear what they're searching for. And we found it. We found it. And when the opportunity presents itself, see it for what it is. When that opportunity comes to you, recognize that you have prayed for this, you have sought the Lord on this, you have labored for this, and swing for the fences. When the opportunity comes, make no mistake who brought it to you. This is an answer to your prayers. And when God answers in that precise way, step out in faith with him. Help them to see what you've understood about the gospel. Help them to know the hope that you have within you. Help them to know how you can handle the ups and downs of this world that we live in. The chaotic mess that is our 
leadership structure in Washington, D.C. The mess of, of the, the rumors of wars and the wars we see, the chaos and fear of pandemics. How is it that you can have hope and joy in the midst of all? Explain it to them. Help them to know the hope that you have. Help them to understand to understand what the Bible teaches about the work of Jesus for us. Give them a glimpse of the joy that you found in Christ. And then invite them. Pray for them. Engage them. Why not invite them? Matt, are you, are you really telling me to bring a friend to church? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good place to start, actually. It's a really good place to start. Are they your friends? Bring them. Are they family members? Invite them. Are they classmates? Bring them. Why not? Remember that story in John chapter 4? John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and she was a mess. She had multiple husbands. The one she was living with now wasn't her husband. She was an outcast. She was broken and hurting. She came to the well alone, and Jesus engaged her. And he treated her with grace and dignity. And he said, look, I can give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. And she went home to the city. And do you remember what she said to the people that she met there? She said, come and see. Come and see this man who I met. He told me things about me that nobody could have known. Come and see for yourself what I have just found. Larry Osborne, he's a pastor in, in California, calls this come and see evangelism. Come and see this thing. Come and see what I found. Come and meet these people who I talk about. Come and experience the church service that I'm always buzzing about when I come into work on Monday morning. Come and see for yourself. You might not understand what I'm on about, but, but my goodness, at least come see it. Don't make your decision without ever, ever trying. I was talking to somebody just last week who's making a priority to invite some co-workers to church, and they've been giving him a bit of a hard time. You hanging out with Jesus again this weekend? You want to come party with us, or are you going to go party with Jesus? And make, just making fun of him. And when talking to the co-worker, he just said, look, you can make fun of me if you want. I know, you know who I used to be. You know who I am now. Come see it. There's, there's nothing to hide this, right? You know what, I, what kind of a mess I used to be in, and you know what I'm doing now, and you see the difference that God has brought in my life. You can make fun of it if you want, but you should at least come see it. Come see this man. Come and find out. Come meet these people who have the same story. Come and see. Come and see. When was the last time you asked somebody to do that? Why don't you come and see for yourself what it's all about? But invite them to what? I'm so glad you asked. I think a worship service on the weekends is a fabulous thing to invite a friend to. As we give them a glimpse, a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around Jesus worshiping him and extolling the goodness of God. As we share our stories with one another, as we pray together, as we open the word and we learn from God. The worship service is a phenomenal way to bring people. It is like the front door of the church. It is the place that most people come first. And you know what? Let's be honest too. You're also in the middle of the Northeast. Everybody here has some family history of church attendance. Everybody. And it's usually from the, from the Catholic churches around here. That seems to be where, where most people's uh, faith was, was begun, right? The seeds were planted. 
So on those special services, like Christmas and Easter, let's not make fun of the fact that people show up twice a year. Let's actually engage them and say, if you're going, why don't you come with me? A special event, a special service, especially here in the Northeast. What about a special, some kind of special occasion that's happening? Maybe somebody in your family is being baptized. Invite everybody you know. Maybe your grandkids are singing in our kids' choir. Invite everybody you know. Right, Dave? Dave came to faith in the Lord because his granddaughter was singing in a musical production and he came, heard the gospel. There's lots of opportunities. Maybe it's, a, it's our block party. Maybe it's our family fun night. Maybe it's a service project. We're out in the community and you have somebody who's, who's socially minded. Why don't you bring them? Come and see for yourself what this is all about. What about your life group? Bringing somebody in there to meet your friends. What about just a family activity at the park? And obviously not now, maybe once it gets warm. But come hang out with us. Come and see. Come and see. A couple pointers in all of this. Okay, just keep a couple things in mind. Your first steps, like I mentioned, don't have to be like automatically to like DEFCON 5, right? <laughs> we don't have to go in and hi, my name is Matt. I live across the street. I've been living there for 15 years. But if you were to die today, like the culture we live in, somebody comes up to my door I've never met and says, if you were to die today, I'm assuming they're planning on making that happen, <laughs> right? I could help you with that process. So maybe let's tone it down and envision first steps that would probably be a little more realistic. Hi, I'm your new neighbor. I'd love to grab a cup of coffee and hear about your life, hear about your story, hear about your family. What's it like living here? Tell me about what you've experienced here. Or maybe it's a coworker, and it's, hey, I noticed, I noticed that you've been having a rough time lately. I know that, I know that things are, are tough at home. I know there's sickness. Maybe we can grab lunch and just talk about that. I'd like to hear more about it. Listen to them. Maybe it's a, co maybe it's a, a classmate. Somebody at school that, you, that you've attended school with for years and you want to bring them to a youth event that we're hosting. The, the first conversations, the first steps need to be relationship building, encouraging, dignifying, right? These are people, people with real stories and real lives that you've been sent to reach. They are people that God put you in their proximity for a reason to, to reach them with the gospel. Secondly, another pointer, think about rejection. Because some of you might be rejected. No, I don't want to come. No, I'm not interested in your Jesus. No, I think you're a kook, right? Listen, they're not rejecting you as a person. They're not rejecting you as a human being. They're not saying they don't care about you, don't love you, don't want you around. They don't want this thing that you're presenting to them. Prepare yourself for rejection and don't give up. Because the rejection doesn't mean your job is over. It might be over for that moment, but you're coming back around. Wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You're coming back around. You're knocking on that door again. You're going to look for opportunities again. You're going to keep praying for more opportunities. Thirdly, keep in mind that fear isn't in control. The Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit will often lead us to do things that cause us fear. 
Because they're uncomfortable. They're difficult. They're challenging. But lean on him. Fear is not in control of the situation. Keep in mind also, people like to talk about themselves a lot. So do you. The, the trick here is, you stop talking, you let them talk. Become an active listener. Ask good questions. Ask them about faith and what part it plays in their lives. Ask them where they learned first about who God was. Ask them about their background in church. Ask them what they loved and what they didn't. Ask them how, it's, how, how it has created an anchor or not through the years. Ask a ton of questions and hear their stories. Find out what God is doing. He's already working in them. Help them to see it. Another pointer, just think about the timelines. Be committed to doing your part, to loving people and engaging them. Trust that God knows what he's doing with the timeline. You might not see people come to faith in the first month. And you might see a ton of people come to faith in the first month. I don't know. That's up to God. But the timeline isn't our concern. Kind of like what he said when they, the disciples asked him in Acts chapter 1, is it now? Is this the time? Are you now going to restore the kingdom? He said, look, the Father has fixed all those dates. He's got the calendar. Your job is to be a spirit-empowered witness. Is it now? Is now the time my son or daughter will come back to the faith? Is now the time my neighbor will come? Is now the time my classmate will join me at this youth event? Look, I don't know if it's the time or not. It's not your job to worry about that. Your job is to be empowered by the Spirit and bear witness. Tell people what you've seen and found in Jesus. Invite them to come and see for themselves. And don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that you're not doing this alone. Jesus said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit came upon you to empower you for this witness. That means tomorrow at your staff meeting, when you're surrounded by these people, the Holy Spirit is empowering you to bear witness. Seek his discernment on how to do that. You don't have to do this alone. He is with you to the end. All right, so what? What does all that mean for us today? It means something very simple. God's plan for his people is spelled out very clearly for us. It's not unclear. It's not easy, but it's not unclear. Right? God's plan for his people is not easy. It's just not hidden. He's very clear with it. God's plan for his people is the Holy Spirit-empowered witness of his church to make disciples. As the Spirit is upon us, we bear witness to what we have seen and heard in Jesus, and we help other people to find the same thing. There it is. Pretty basic, pretty simple. That's the mission of the church. That's what God desires of his people. That's the mission he still wants for us today. Your part is to bear witness. Faithfully and consistently be a witness for Jesus. At your workplace, in your family gatherings, at home, in your community, wherever you find yourself as you are going. The big question you need to ask today, will you join us in this? In this, that might be the most challenging part of these 320s. This might be the most vulnerable part. The, mo the one where you have to really put yourself out there. This might be the one you have to lean heaviest in prayer on the Lord for. Yes, yes, all that might be true. But this might also be the most fruitful thing you've ever engaged in. As you get what Pastor Duke likes to call that bite of bread. And you realize that God can use you 
and your story and your mess and his grace to reach other people who need to hear the same thing. Will you join us? 20 people. We got a year to do this. 20 people. Pray for them. Engage them in a gospel conversation. Share with them your story. Hear theirs. Invite them to come and see for themselves. And that means those of us who are longtime veteran members here. That means we have a job to do as well. When we see new faces come in, we need to receive them with gladness and joy. We need to create an atmosphere of a warm welcome that the love of God might be on display through our love for the stranger among us. What would God do with a congregation of a few hundred people who engage 20 over the course of the next year? Just just play that out. 6,000 people or more? Right here in Clifton Park, Mechanicville, Saratoga Springs, Boston Spa. 6,000 people invited to come and see for themselves? What would the Lord do with a congregation like that who's constantly praying and looking outward to reach people with the message of the gospel? What would God do in our hearts as we prayed and then he answered those prayers and we saw our loved ones coming to faith in Jesus? As we see the waters of baptism stirred by people who were reached because their neighbors shared with them their story of what the gospel did. What would God do with a congregation like that? I think he'd pour out his spirit upon it. I think he'd give them a greater vision for who he is. I think he would reach the community at a a stronger clip than he ever has before. I think he would know that he could trust us with much because we've been faithful with what he's given. Guys, this could be a really great year. Will you join us in that challenge? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your for your word today. Thank you for the mission of the church. Thank you that it hasn't changed. Lord, help us to not try to get cute and clever with it all, but God, help us to to lean hard on the tried and true mission of the church, to go into the world and make disciples as we are empowered by your spirit to bear witness. Lord, we realize that it could get really scary for us, a little overwhelming, but we pray that you would strengthen us, that we would sense your power, your strength, your movement in our lives. Go before us, God, and prepare the way. Begin now to soften the hearts of our loved ones and friends. Begin to soften our hearts towards them. Make us, make us, God, dependent on your Spirit's prompting. Help us to know when to spot it. And help us to have faith and courage to step out. Lord, I just, I pray for our congregation that we all would take very seriously this challenge to reach our friends and loved ones with the gospel this year. And God, it starts with one, so begin to lead us to that one. Put in our mind's eye even now that one that we have to talk to. And Lord, I pray that you would, by your power, make this a fruitful year for us in that regard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.